Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome back to the Reformed Dissenters, the show where Reformed Christians dissent against popular ideas of culture by asserting a biblical worldview. I'm Bruce Johnson, joined of course by my brother Jacob Johnson. Hello everybody. And today is Current Events Monday. Welcome you Monday listeners, thanks for tuning in. Um, today we are covering what last week we probably should have covered, but things happened so crazily and several events happened back to back and things were just absolutely bonkers that we just didn't get to it. So here it is, us covering um, the, the, the news story. I mean, this is literally what everyone's talking about. Uh, unless you're living under a rock, this is, you know, first and foremost in your lot of current events, discussions, yes. The uh, terrorist attack and Israel's response to it. So, lots to delve into there. And we want to provide, as always, a biblical perspective on some of these things and um, actually sort out scripturally what um, some of the repercussions are, the implications, um, connotations, denotations, all those sorts of things, kind of provide some biblical context around current events. So, um, after we discuss all of those things, <laughs> We're going to get into a theological wrap-up talking about, uh, I've titled it, When God Makes a Promise. So, lots to discuss there. Before we get into all that, though, we have to do what we always do, which is talk about our verse of the week. Our passage this week is 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Um, actually, 7, 13 through 14. I wrote this backwards. I'm just going to fix this in my notes so that when I put this up on the screen, it's not backwards. <laughs> there we go. All right. 2 Chronicles 7, 13. Through 14, yes, I've tacked on an earlier part to this passage than what we usually discuss. Here we go. Quote, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no more rain or command the locust to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Second Chronicles 7, 13 through 14. So, the extra passage here is talking about the judgments from God. And so when we talk, we're going to talk today a lot about covenants. And you'll see why in a minute. <laughs> um, you're going to see, uh, we're going to talk a lot about confessionalism. And a lot of it plays into, um, oh man, I think I have it here. I do. A book we read on the show uh, last year called The Confessional County by Raymond Simmons. Really good book. If you missed those episodes you should go check those out. We're, I, we might be putting those into a series soon. Um, so in that case, you can check out that series. But anyways, we talked a lot about the confessional county and, and the uh, country, the nation as itself, covenanting before God. So all of that is important. And so um, that's exactly what this is. This is the most succinct uh, passage to discuss that very broad and huge theological concept of of a covenant of a nation making a covenant with God as a nation, right? So I think that this plays super well, should play into our conversation of the case for Christian nationalism. This is one of those passages that, you know, uh, Stephen Wolf says in that book, he's not a theologian, quote unquote, not a theologian. So he, he's not going to pull in passages of scripture and try to talk about them. I think we can all do that, even though we, we're not theologians. We're not theologians mm -hmm. either. Anyways, that's what he says. That's why he only refers to reformers and their quotes for his research. Anyways, whatever. 
So, but anyways, I would have loved to have seen this passage in his book. And I think this would have given him a much firmer foundation to make his case from. Um, Doug Wilson does that in his book, Mere Christendom, right here. Tremendous book. Uh, Andrew Torba does that in his book, um, talking about uh, literally called Christian nationalism. Uh, Raymond Simmons does that in his book, The Confessional County. But why the heck does this all matter? Right? Why are we talking about covenanting and confessionalism in 30 seconds i'm going to wrap this up i promise jake this matters because that's exactly the issue with israel right now and though it looks like this is a this is a geopolitical issue or wow this is this is something that's happening because um political forces over years and there's compressions and there's pressure outside yeah what happened with the babylonians and egypt and literally every other invader of Israel in the past. Why did they invade? No other reason than the providence of God. Additionally, Israel broke their covenant with God and he punished them. This is, this is a little deep. It's a little like, did you just say what I think you said? Yeah, I did. I did. Because with a covenant comes two things, covenant blessings and covenant cursings. What does that mean? When you, when you keep the covenant, you get blessings. When you break the covenant, you get what? Cursing. Cursings. Yeah. Yeah. You get cursings. And so what is Israel reaping right now? It's, it's sad. It's horrific. It's horrible. Are cursings good? No. Cursings are bad things but they're very, very real. And when a nation breaks God's covenant for 2,000 years plus, more like going on 4,000 years at this point, breaking God's covenant for 4,000 years, what happens? Bad cursings. And that's where Israel's at right now. Um, so we're going to talk a lot more about that later today. But Jake, I'm going to pass it over to you. Break down um, from your perspective, from our perspective, what the heck is happening over in the Middle East right now? Uh, I want to first start out and apologize for our audio. Uh, we are working through some things. So if, if it sounds bad this episode, we're still trying to get things figured out with that. So we're working on it. We, we know. But we'll move on. Yep. Uh, uh, let's talk about Israel and Hamas. Uh, for those who haven't heard, a new war has erupted in the Middle East. Uh, Israel is being attacked by a terrorist group known as Hamas. Um, and of course, in all of this, cities have been raised and people have been hurt and killed. And sadly, that is war. Now, Hamas, let's get into this a little bit. Hamas is a group located in Gaza Strip which is a sanction of land that has been at odds, really, for Israel, against Israel for a very long time now. Um, and about a week ago, Hamas shot several missiles and captured many Israeli men and women. The accounts of, of the horrors mm -hmm. that occurred during the invasion uh, were horrific. Uh, and... And Hamas, obviously, being at odds with Israel, did not treat the captured Israelis well. Uh, someone did not learn mm. from just war theory. Um, but yeah. while doing research, yeah. 
many people said that Hamas attack the the Hamas attack how how they did it how this terrorist group did it was was very coordinated and very odd and unlike a terrorist organization or at least they had the resources that they really shouldn't have um and connected with this is the fact that not long before the attack an exchange happened um with America where they they unfroze a Iranian terrorist group they unfroze the account oh yeah for and and this was the trade for captured men so America had wow. a, a, the Iranian Iranian um terrorist group which don't quote me on this. I do believe it was connected with ISIS if it wasn't exactly ISIS, but I, I'm not mm. exactly sure. However, the ISIS-like group, they they had they had American soldiers or or civilians, and and America unfroze the terrorist group's account in order to get those men back. Wow. I we could go over an episode discussing whether or not that was a good idea or not. I personally am like it's yeah. it's like you're trying to save those men. It makes sense, kind of, but it did it might have caused this war. Um, so uh, they make the claim that because of the missiles, Hamas the 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 missiles that Hamas used. And, and, get this, the drones that they used to take out the Israeli defenses. So I do, I do believe Israel had some sort of new um, tech that allowed them to defend from uh, missiles and, and aircraft like that. Yeah. But these drones came in. Yeah, I think they call it the, um, they call it the Iron yeah. Dome. It's this. Uh, it's actually very innovative and very advanced mm-hmm. technology because they face so many missile yeah. threats. Uh, so, but frequently. I think, um, yeah, I think these drones went in and took out those defenses, and that allowed them to u- to do the missile strike. But the idea that everybody has is that the the terrorist group, the the terrorist group that may be linked to ISIS, um, gave Hamas the money to um to you know get all of these different resources to be able to attack israel at this scale and those are and of course and the reason i say this is this is a little bit of a speculation because america denies ever doing that ever doing what yeah freeing the account the accounts america denies any connection or, or whatever uh, denies it all so <laughs> Well, that means there's a good chance. So what's what's some of the evidence yeah, that points for yeah. it? I I it So what sorry, what what's do you know what some of the evidence is that points towards it then being true? There were multiple articles that I saw that said that that exchange did happen. Again, if you want to deny all those articles then that's then that's good. That's fine. I don't I didn't do in-depth research on that aspect of it. So if if people do want okay. to do that research, I can give you the articles that I have currently, um, and you'll be able to see where I got some of the some of the evidence to show at least those people in the article saying that this exchange happened. Um, so 
who knows uh, on either side whether it was true or, or whether it wasn't. That's why I'm not necessarily saying dogmatically that America caused the war, you know. So, yeah. however, the fact that America denies the account makes me a little bit like, yeah, there's probably a good chance that they actually did it. Because um, mm-hmm. they deny everything that's true. Uh, so, nevertheless, <laughs> I, I don't think the blame should be on America again, because I can't, I can't be that dogmatic because I don't have the evidence on that, uh, on that specifically. So I, it would, it would seem that America was only trying to save those, those captured Americans. But aside from that, uh, many have gone over the actual attack and the details as to what happened and, and really like, you know, what these people did and how they infiltrated uh, Israel. Uh, but I won't go over that. I want to kind of talk about the aftermath and what's going on now, currently. Um, and this is, you know, this is kind of me wrapping up a little bit because I know Bruce has a, a talk and it, it's decently long. So I'm getting close to the end. So there isn't too much more information. But to continue, um, during the attack, America did send warships and other reinforcements to aid israel so they they sent it into the general vicinity i i don't think that they actually got involved um so i they're not really involved in the conflict yet however israel is now planning a counterattack on the gaza strip so so since then so this Hmm. the hamas group took over Israel, sorry, took over, not Israel itself, took over a major city inside of Israel. And so they, they owned it, they had it, and then Israel was able to take it back. So that, the good, good thing Israel was mm-hmm. able to take that land back, and, and now they're planning a counterattack on, yeah. on that organization. Um, now, from yeah. some of the articles I've read, it would seem that there has been a feud, as I mentioned kind of before, between the Gaza Strip and Israel for a decent amount of time. Um, and they, However, this is the first instance of an actual war, of actual, like, feudal fighting between them. Um, Israel, in retaliation, has now cut off su- food supplies to the Gaza Strip. Who knows what will become of that? Does it does it actually affect them? Do have they do they have other ways of getting food? Maybe. Um, so we don't know what's going to become of that. Uh, I kind of want to talk about and kind of set Bruce up, not to spoil what he's going to be talking about. I want to talk briefly about um, the Christians' response to this conflict, um, and. Hmm. No, I do, I do not mean the <laughs> correct or biblical response. No, I'm 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 talking about those Christians. Um, uh, when we when we live in a world of uh, yes. dispensational premillennialism that is unfortunately mm-hmm. running rampant yeah. in America today. Given yeah. given our sad state in Christian ec- Christian eschatology, most Christians claim that we must. This is a must must sacrifice our bodies for Israel. 
that we have to, because because of what <laughs> God commands us, and they use the specific verse in Romans to claim that God wants <laughs> us to sacrifice our bodies for Israel, and so we therefore must go over to Israel and fight <laughs> Hamas to save Israel. Wow! Again, because God commands <laughs> us to somewhere. And of course, they can do all things <sighs> through a verse taking out of context. Yeah. Um, and of course, <laughs> that, that isn't like I'm not even joking. That 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 is something that one of these Christians has said about this crisis. That that is literally sacrifice. Wow. Our, we must sacrifice our bodies for Israel. That is almost a literal quote. Wow. It, it's crazy. It is absolutely <laughs> crazy. However. I will not explain how crazy it is. That is now on to Bruce to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. Thanks for the research, Jake. Um, As always, that was that was great. That was good stuff. Um, Yeah. So my strategy, Jake and I were discussing this over the weekend. Um, How do we address this? And what are the theological implications we should address? And I had no idea. Sometimes when you live in a bubble of solid theology for I've just been here in Moscow for like a month, month and a half, but I'm already a little bit like, wait, what? There's people out there that believe that craziness. (laughs) um, Jake's like, "Uh, yeah, that's what everyone's talking about. I'm like, what? (laughs) Um, So anyway, so my 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 response be the word my response to that kind of theology is not to entertain the fool right when um bonson has this great sermon series on um uh discussing with the fool and you don't entertain the fool by his folly right answer him not by his folly lest you you know encourage him but rather my strategy is to reassert a biblical understanding of covenant theology so but don't worry, I won't be that dry. This is actually really exciting. This is what I think makes covenant theology super applicable. So I've titled this When God Makes a Promise. And I want to talk about the first chunk. I want to talk about a God of covenant. Spend a few minutes talking about this because I, this sets up the whole thing. And I think this is super important. The triune God of the Bible who created heaven and earth through Jesus Christ is not a God who suddenly changes his mind. That should be obvious to us, right? He's not Thor. He's not Zeus or any of the other pagan gods who just randomly undergo mood changes and they renege on their word. That's not God. When God makes a promise, he keeps it. Quote, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Numbers 23, 19. Pause for a second and think about how glorious this truth is. At the beginning of history, the very first man representing the entire human race turned his back on God's perfect law. He corrupted himself and eventually caused all of nature to groan, even to this day. The ultimate betrayal of his Lord and King. God's promise to him, however, is shocking Given the circumstances, quote, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. This is the core part of this verse. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his 
heal. Genesis 3, 14 through 15. Almost 4,000 years before Christ worked out his earth-shattering victory on the cross, God promised the defeat of the accuser. And just 2,000 years ago, our father fulfilled his promise in the most unexpected way imaginable. Throughout Israel's time as a nation, God kept covenant with them, even though they broke their covenant with him more times than we can count, just, just as we do every single day, right? He renewed his covenant over time and used it to show his character to his people. That's crucial. God renewed his covenant over time and he uses his covenants to show his character to his people. Okay, next section, the glorious unfolding of his promises. This is exciting stuff. This right here is like, this is what gets me super excited. Like theology is cool. It's important. It's good. But it's often just like, okay, yep, this is important. Got it. Good. You know, it's it's like reading a biography from someone you have to study in school. Like, yeah, okay, this is important. This is good to know. How does this really affect my life? This is the core part of this covenant theology that affects your life. This is, and it's so exciting to read this. Um, it glorifies God to learn about what he's done. The glorious unfolding of his promises. The Bible is a story of the longest long-term plan ever created. <laughs> Since the beginning of creation, the earth was always meant to be the place where man lived and walked with God, Genesis 3.8. Sin obviously ruined that for the time being. The story of the Bible tells us how God intends to restore the communion between heaven and earth once again. The earth is not an afterthought to God. We know our souls will be temporarily held in heaven when we die. We also know that God is working now to vanquish all his uh, earthly enemies and place us back on earth purged of sin and the curse. <clears throat> the picture of how God intends to do this has become less and less fuzzy with every generation. Here we go. Here's the story. First, the ancient pre-flood world devolved into utter madness, sin so great and so terrible that God wished he'd never created man, Genesis 6.6. 6. This looked like a really bad start until God saved his remnant and made his covenant with Noah. Then things really started to heat up. A covenant was made with Abraham and the picture began to get a bit clearer. We began to see the vastness of God's redemption. God's people will number more than the stars and the grains of sand on a beach. They'll conquer their enemies and all the nations of the earth will be blessed because of them. Genesis 22, 16 through 18. These promises are given first, it seems, just to the nation and people of Israel. But we later discover that God's promises were always meant to reach way further than just one piece of land in the Middle East. But for a long time, well, it seems like the only hope, for a long while, it seems like the only hope of God's great restoration will come from the people of Israel. At first, it's really exciting, right? We see the law of God given to a whole nation. We get this template for how to structure a nation according to the word of God. And we learn how we're meant to, to structure entire societies after God. We learn wisdom from great kings like David and Solomon. And we're given incredible promises from prophets like Isaiah and Ezekiel about the transformation of the world. Ezekiel 47, Isaiah 65, 17 through 25, right? It's this glorious like flourishing of a nation structured after God's will and God's wisdom. And it's beautiful. It's incredible. But... 
Israel keeps falling. They don't keep God's covenant. And it looks like all is lost once again. Then Jesus Christ, born, born in a village, murdered by the covenant breakers of Israel, buried, resurrected from the dead, and exalted into heaven to reign over the earth at God's right hand. He shows up and all of that happens. This changed everything. And now all of God's glorious promises of peace, wisdom, hope, salvation, and transformation are available to his elect across the entire world. The earth is being transformed into the image of Christ gradually like a mustard seed and growing uh, like a mustard seed growing into a great tree. Tons of verses. Pause and look some of these up. <laughs> Second Corinthians 3.18, Mark 4, 31 through 32, Ezekiel 47, Revelation 11.15, Ephesians 1, 18 through 23, and so many others. If you want more, shoot me a message. <laughs> um, this hope is the glorious result of God's promises toward us who believe. When God makes a promise, he keeps it. Okay. Hope for those who broke his covenant. There is still hope for Israel and every other group of covenant breakers. Quote, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you've turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Malachi 3, 6 through 7. God plans to bring Israel back into covenant with him, Romans 11, 25 through 40. And it will be a glorious day when that happens. Quote, now, if their, meaning Israel's, trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Romans eleven twelve. One day, the Jews will be brought back into glorious covenant with God. We have this to look forward to, but also we have the promise as Gentiles that if we turn back to God, he will hear us and deliver us from our judgment. We talked about this last year when we studied Christian nationalism by Andrew Torba. Uh, this is a quote from that book. Uh, quote, Jeremiah 18, 8 tells us that if a nation turns from evil, God will relent of the disaster he plans to bring upon it. God blesses nations that are faithful and obedient and brings righteous judgment upon those who rebel and fall into sin. Andrew Torba, Christian Nationalism, page 23. What Israel's going through is horrible. We should pray that they would be delivered from this evil and return to God in repentance. God has said he will deliver his covenant people when they humbly ask for his forgiveness. And that most, that most definitely includes Israel, right? They're included in that group of people who can turn, ask for his repentance and be healed and be uh, saved and delivered. One day they will humble themselves and return to God. Until then, we should continue with the tasks that God has given us to do where we are, discipling the nation we live in through our work and daily interactions. Quote, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no more rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send uh, pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Second Chronicles 7, 14, 13 through 14. That's the promise. And 
as I've been harping on this whole time, hopefully bludgeoning you over the head with it, when God makes a promise, he keeps it. The promise is that when judgment comes, repent, turn, and God will heal the land. That's what Israel needs to do, right? That's why these things keep happening. That's why they're happening to us in America, right? We're no different. We're no more special than they are, right? That's happening to us too. And pretty soon we'll have even more of what happened on 9-11-2001 happen here. They attacked us and they're attacking Israel. That's what pagans do. As a previous pastor of mine used to say, heathen's going to heat. That's what they do. We need to know how to respond to that. We do know how to respond to that. We turn to God in repentance with a humble and contrite heart. and He will heal our land. All right. Any quick two-minute thought, one-minute thoughts um, you want to add, Jake, before we wrap up? In a sense, this... If no, okay, I did have a thought, but it, I feel like I feel like it would be too long of a thought to give right now. <laughs> so if if people want <laughs> to know more about, it. like, I think uh, this this type of episode will leave people asking, okay, is dispensationalism a wrong thing or right? I don't know. Um, and if this wasn't enough evidence. Ask us in the comment section. We can definitely give you more. We can definitely, you know, help help with with more research on this um, because definitely there's there's so much that we can't fit it into an entire episode. Um, so again, I, I think that would be my only yeah. adding to this to just to let you know this is not necessarily our defense or our debate against. Uh, dispensationalism. I know I maybe I did kind of set it up that way, but this is that's not the point of this. So if you do want to know, ask us in the comment section right. and we will we will yeah. talk. So yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that's why I kind of started out saying um, this is uh, I think the best way to re- respond as the mm-hmm. pro- as proverb says, you don't respond to a fool according to his folly. <laughs> Uh, you you don't respond to people who are completely misunderstanding covenantal history by saying, all right, let's stoop to your level and talk about it from there. You can, right? There's a time to do that, but I think it's more time to reassert what the Bible actually says about covenantal history. And I'm not diminishing it here. I'm not diminishing that short amount of time. I just want everybody to know that. Thank you, Jake. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, for sure. Yep. Making it clear. Yeah, that's great. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right. Well, uh, thank you all for joining us, listening, watching. Appreciate it. Go to trdshow.net. Follow us on all sorts of places. Our Instagram page is blowing up, which is very cool. Um, We post lots of clips there. So if you're looking to share some clips of this episode um, with your friends, um, you can go there. and We would appreciate the shares. We've already gotten so many of those, and it's been wonderful. Um, Feel free to, to chime in there. And uh, yeah, if you want to join in on some of the trollish debates happening on our Instagram page, that's the place to go. Seems to be where all the trolls reside. All the fools love to go there for some reason. So uh, help us defend the uh, give, a, give an answer for the hope that lies within us right there. 
Um, thank you. And we're looking forward to seeing you on Wednesday. We break down the next few chapters in the book Case for Christian Nationalism by Stephen Wolf. Until then, everyone, remember, in all that you do, do it as unto the Lord.